Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer. Starting on a high note that you won't hear because I'm going to cut it out of the podcast. Joined <laughs> by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune from TCO Performance Center, where the Vikings are preparing for the New York Giants on Christmas Eve to continue, as Kevin O'Connell says, chase improvement and playoff seeding. So we'll discuss what they exactly have to play for, how they're going to go about finishing these three regular season games, and we got a lot of questions, too. You know the first quarterback Kevin O'Connell coached in the NFL was? I don't. Johnny Manziel. Wow. <laughs> what a callback. Tied call together the off-air call discussion. The, call back to the deleted section. Uh, you guys will have to check that out on the DVD of this that comes That's out. on our Patreon. Uh, the ex- yeah, the extras. Um, all right, but let's get into the discussion first of what this team has to play for as the two-seed at 11-3 and three following that ridiculous – uh, win against the Colts. As they come down from that, uh, Kevin O'Connell is saying, we heard him on the Zoom call yesterday telling reporters that this team still has a lot to play for moving forward. And when you look at the Niners nipping at their heels at number three, Ben, you brought this up a lot in terms of wanting that two seed over that three seed. They certainly do have that positioning to play for. Yeah, they do. And the Niners have the tiebreaker. So you basically have to stay ahead of them, and their schedule I don't think is terribly difficult down no, the stretch. Not. It's not because the NFC West has turned from the best division of football to one of the worst, as the NFC North is in that conversation as well. But yeah, they've got the Commanders, Raiders, Cardinals. Okay, so it is conceivable they went out, meaning the Vikings would need to also win out to stay ahead of them, and then not have to play them in Santa Clara, not San Francisco in the second round of the playoffs. I I think that's a bad matchup for them either way. I think the 49ers are a tough matchup either way. But knowing that, I think you want to do everything you can to help yourself, and having that game at home certainly would be a way to do that. The flip side of that um, is, A, you know, what's more important, pushing for the 2-3. I mean, in past years, obviously, it's a huge difference if there's a buy associated with it, but there's not anymore. So what you are playing for is the potential for one more home game, right? But it's it's also interesting in that I get the sense that the seven seed, unless it is Seattle still, which I don't know, maybe that's what it's going to be. It, it could be, you know, it could be Detroit, it could be Green Bay, two teams that have been playing much better lately, especially Detroit. I mean, what are they on a five game winning streak? Um, that's like one. They would they would be if they were to get in as the seven seed. They've given the Vikings trouble already this year. They should have beat them in the first game here. They did beat them pretty convincingly in the second game in Detroit. So you don't want to play for those eventualities, but I'm kind of wondering at a certain point if the seven seed is going to be a tougher matchup just momentum-wise than the six seed might be. Well, and that's a good point because as Kevin O'Connell talks about hunting improvement, still on the hunt as that you know uh, cliche is for the teams chasing in, in these playoff standings, he said that we're still hunting improvement. So you want to be, if you're the Vikings, you want to be trying to capture that momentum going into this too. And it just, it doesn't feel like you had it in that second half, but it doesn't feel like you quite have it after the last few games. Yeah. And then the other piece of this whole thing, the, the other dial you have to turn is trying to arrive in the playoffs with a healthy roster. Yeah. And they have a lot of players, especially on defense, that played a lot of snaps. And I, that may be the thing that they do over these next few weeks. O'Connell alluded to it on Monday, I think. It was Monday. Today's Tuesday, right? Yes. Um, these Saturday games just mess everything up. I know, up. right? He alluded to that in terms of playing younger players, reducing snap counts for certain guys in an effort to both see younger players and 
give the veterans a little bit of a break going into the playoffs, but you also can't do too much of that because you have to win these games if you want seeding, if you want improvement with the guys you're going to have to count on in the playoffs. So it's kind of a fine line to walk with all of this stuff in the next few weeks here. And you know, certainly is interesting to watch, especially when you have division opponents in two of the three and quite possibly a team you could see again in the first round of the playoffs this weekend. I mean, the Giants could be back yes. here in mid-January for a wild card game very easily. It's not hard to see a scenario where that's the matchup you get again. So, you know, you you have to kind of pl- plan for that as well in terms of, you know, what are we going to do to prepare for them now and, and how is that going to help us prepare for possibly a more important game against them in three weeks? Yeah, Mike, you mentioned uh, Seattle maybe as the seventh seed. I just looked at the last three games for those four teams that they could possibly yeah. play in the first round. And Ben Ben's right, like the Giants could certainly fall to that spot. Talking more of the Giants are the six and yeah, the, Vikings the Vikings fall to the three. three. Yeah. Oh, sorry, you're absolutely right. Yeah, if the Vikings drop one of these games, San Francisco wins out. The Vikings are suddenly the three hosting the six. If they do hold on to the two, though, and win out, which if I had to bet, I, I would guess they're going to win out. I, I don't think so. I would assume because if the one that like they totally rest people might be that Chicago one, and you still might win out <laughs> you know, with that. So if the Vikings win out and they are the two seed, um, it looks like the Lions could easily be that seven. Yeah. Because they have yeah. Carolina, Chicago, and Green Bay. And Green Bay might be the one that might be the toughest game left of them. Right. And what I'm not clear on is if, if I know the Lions beat Green Bay in the first matchup, would Green Bay have the tiebreaker over the Lions if they – Ended up tied, and Green Bay won that well, last the, game. Yeah, I'm assuming if the Vikings went out, that means Green Bay lost yeah, and are eliminated yeah, to the that's Vikings. Good point. So yeah, if yeah. the Vikings went out and the Lions went out, yeah, uh, then the Lions are coming back to us. There's a good chance of that. Although at that point, you're talking about the Giants would have lost the game to the Vikings. The Giants would have then had to win both of their last two games. against the Colts, and then the Eagles are their season finale, and the Eagles could have the one locked up, and you could be yeah. playing Gardner. Mitchell. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting kind of. There's a lot of what ifs. I mean, I feel like one thing that is fairly kind of not known, but seems like it would be a scenario that would get a lot more likely is if the Giants beat the Vikings this weekend. And with the way the Giants are, or the way the Vikings are playing right now, like all over the map, uh, that's that's like literally like they. I, we don't know what we're going to see. We on, know on Saturday. We know whatever it is we're going to see will come down to the last yeah, five I mean, seconds. Right. We we do know what we're going to see, but we don't know how it's going to happen. But if if they somehow finally lose one of these close games and, it's, and the Giants win. That dramatically increases the likelihood that it's going to be the Giants back here for the 3-6 matchup because then the Giants have the one more win. I don't even know if anybody could – yeah, the, I guess the, the Lions could still catch them at that point, but it would be hard to, harder to imagine. And, and then you're talking about the likelihood that, that the Vikings are going to maybe drop another game or San Francisco is going to win out and get that two seed. So a lot of kind of interesting things. I think the bottom line is that I don't think they have to – I don't think they're going to put the foot on the accelerator to try to get the two seed. I don't think it's that – I don't think it's that meaningful versus making sure you're healthy, making sure you are doing what you want to do, and you know maybe even at a certain point finessing the matchup you want in week in week in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, I do. I do wonder if yeah you would want to face a Giants team in that first round, but I also think what we heard from Kevin O'Connell on Monday, it seemed like he had mentioned no. We also have sights on wanting to stay at home and have as many. I think his quote was, "We want to chase as many home games as possible." Well, especially if. Well, I guess in the, it's it's a moot point because the NFC Championship game idea is if you win in the second round, no matter where you are, if the Eagles would lose, you're at home for the NFC Championship game. But 
Yeah, I I think that the, it's not lost on them how big of a home field advantage they have when that place gets as loud as it does. So I think they want it. Now, yes, all of this stuff, this is not on and off switches. These are dials. The, you know, there are this is a spectrum on which you can make these decisions because you can you're not going to probably sit starters wholesale until the Bears game if you do it. This is a question of do we take a few reps off of Dalvin Cook here and there? Do we take Zedarius Smith out of certain packages? Do we you know, make some changes in the defensive backfield if there's guys we need to see to, to give Harrison Smith or, or Patrick Peterson a little bit of a break? I, I think the guy you will not see them take out is Justin Jefferson, at least until the very end. I, I think if they're trying to win games, they will keep him in because right now a lot of times their offense turns into, well, Justin's out there somewhere. And usually they that turns out to be right. But it is an interesting point in light of what O'Connell brought up on Monday about how often he feels like teams are hitting Jefferson hard, ostensibly with the, the aim of trying to take him out of the game. Yeah, and, you know, the thing with Jefferson, too, the flip side of that is he's, you know, whether we would – you know flat out say it or not he's chasing some numbers right now probably that are pretty meaningful to him and fell short of in certain years with Mike Zimmer um and he, that one will be easy at this yeah point. that one will be easy but you know if he's anywhere near the MVP conversation if he's close to 2,000 yards which is not out of the question at this point it was feeling a little like it was feeling pretty unlikely with five weeks to go with three weeks to go the pace is a little bit more meaning manageable isn't it 223 helped two weeks yes. ago before that game we were talking about how like even justin jefferson probably can't do that and then he went out and had a single game re- franchise record and it was like oh wow this is yeah, so, I mean, what is he at right now is he at like 16 16 32 well 16 32 is the record I, no no 30 uh or sorry 22 16, yeah he's 10 yards away from he's 10 yards away from the record that. so that means over the last three games he needs to average like what 125 128 something like that i mean that's not i mean that's those are good games like that's a hard that's a tough average but that's not probably too far off of his season average right now season average is 116 so he just needs a catch or two over uh but that's that's assuming he does that in a bears game that yeah is kirk cousins even yeah that's true or is it josh rosen josh rosen how about that <laughs> the vikings bring in the former cardinals top pick um it's his seventh team. Josh Rosen's yep. seventh team. That's incredible. And that one kind of caught me by surprise. Not that it matters if he's on the practice squad, but what do you imagine? What's the what's the even appeal of that? Just well, the connection is that he was just in Andrew Barry's in Cleveland Browns training camp. So I, my guess is Quasey kind of just was looking around for a quarterback, called one of his buddies and mentor, Andrew Barry, and, hey, we had one that we just cut in October, and he was sitting at home and hadn't been on a team for two months. So um, I'm assuming that was it because he's been – he was with the Niners, too, for a minute, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. But that was yeah. probably after Quasey left. He's had chances. Um, he's had a lot of chances. But a third-string quarterback, and no matter how many questions we got in the mailbag, thank you for asking. He is not the future at quarterback for the Minnesota We got that question? <laughs> Multiple oh, times. But nobody <laughs> – well, Other people love guy, more ex- other than the quarterback who's not playing. Certainly one guy was being sarcastic about it. I hope, I hope they all were. I um, had somebody respond to me on Twitter this morning saying – should have brought back Kyle Slaughter. Kyle Slaughter. <laughs> Slaughterhouse has not been uh, torn down yet. Oh, man. All right. So the, you're right. Uh, to, to bring up the importance of Saturday's game, if they lose this, they're suddenly looking at San Francisco needing them to lose uh, to maintain that, to get yeah. back that two seed. So they need to continue to try to front run and win this game against the Giants. 
Um, and that would set them up to host potentially Brock Purdy in the three seed Niners at U.S. Bank Stadium in the divisional round if they beat the first round opponent. Who should Vikings fans, this was a question we got, so I'll get to it. Who should Vikings fans be rooting for that they face in the first round? I think Washington. I think Seattle is kind of the ideal matchup. Really? To me. Yeah, I just don't think they're all that good. I don't believe in Geno Smith. I think they would probably win that game pretty easily. I'm wow. assuming they don't make it. Surprised by that. Yeah, I'd put Seattle ahead of Washington, too, just because that Washington pass rush, if it is at full strength with Chase Young, that's a little bit tougher. But, yeah, I think those would be at the top of the list, those two. DK Metcalf and Kenneth Walker, though, against Ed Donatella, it would just – that, to me, is a little – but you're right. You guys are right. The the biggest weakness would be if they can get that pass rush on Kirk, and they only scored – was it 20 points in Washington? Yeah, and they needed – that one was, what, 17-7 at one point, right? Fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. Yeah, I know, but still, they were they were not moving the ball that day until no. the fourth quarter, which, you know, they could say that about almost every game. But. Cousins threw a pick in the end zone at the end of the first half. That's right. That, uh, was that the Jefferson bobble? That- it was, well, Benny St. Just uh, broke it up, and it. I think um, somebody else caught the deflection. Apparently, O'Connell complained to the refs that Jefferson was interfered with on that, and they said, uh, we thought it was a Hail Mary, so we didn't officiate it. It's like it was – they had a play left, and there were 20 seconds from the 20-yard line. That's not a Hail Mary. Oh, yeah. That was – that's odd. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Okay. That leads into another good question that we got, speaking of that. Um, well, I want to get to some of these earlier because we often end up cutting off the mailbag pretty quick. We got a lot of them. Rick wants to know, the Vikings have been victims of bad calls by refs this year, especially with egregious calls in the Buffalo game last weekend versus the Colts. Has the league admitted any errors in these cases and what comes of it? So we've heard the Vikings many times and cover the NFL. Teams do this every week. They submit plays to the league that they want reviewed, that they want to emphasize to officials about what's being done to them. Kevin O'Connell talked about those hits on Jefferson, saying, I don't think those are all by accident. The Bills just had 12 men on the field for a goal line play. They were hot about that one. A ref took out Cam Bynum on a touchdown in Washington. Um, that then, I think was that's just, that was a fluky a thing. Fluke, yeah, we, as far as we know. Last week, Shannon Sullivan, and this week, Shannon Sullivan is still active on social media. Every time a play is not ruled dead, <laughs> he is it. reposting it and saying, "What about this one?" That's great. At, at NFL, oh boy. love it, love it. <laughs> it's a good way to get fined. Shannon's not worried about a few bucks coming out of his pocket. Yeah, that's apparently. a good way to get. Fined. Uh, to say, does anything come of it? Um, coaches will tell you all that comes of it is a, the league just saying, "Hey, we screwed up." Yeah, and you know, people do tend to remember the ones that went against you far more than they remember the ones that went for you. And the Vikings have gotten plenty of calls their way this year. I think we talked a couple weeks on the podcast about how they have the most first downs by penalty this season offensively. So they've certainly got their share of calls go their way this year. So I I don't know. Matt Ryan sneak. Uh, being blown yeah. dead when it was probably yeah. also helped them out. That changed the game. I mean, they, if they get the first down, then the game's over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, I kind of thought that at the end. Like, if they let this one go after blowing those other ones dead, well, I guess the first one blowing it dead more than the second one, which is a fumble. But if that, I think the Vikings would have been especially salty about that, that there's no consistency on when you blow those things dead. So, yeah, it, it did help them there. But, um, yeah, they have certainly had other examples where it's gone their way that said the sullivan plays were ridiculous especially the second one the, f- the first one was like mm, okay I, maybe you can see forward progress the second one they're like the ball's just like the ball's out it's sitting there why how do you blow that one dead and it really could have cost them but it, you know it didn't because it's the vikings in 2022 
Patrick Peterson agrees with you. How? How did they blow that dead? Just need five touchdowns. I got a question from Joe. Wants to know who on the roster shouldn't take a snap after they clinch the should they clinch them? Hmm. So they completely clinch. So this is they win the next two of the forty ers and lose one somewhere? I guess so. Yeah. 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 Or they win Jefferson. Yeah. Right? I would say it'd be anybody that they sat in the preseason. It'd be yeah. like those twelve, the dozen guys that just didn't play. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Jefferson's going to be the only tough one in there because he's probably going to lobby to play because he's got a lot of individual goals. But th- that the team goals obviously will supersede that. I'd say Cousins obviously should not take a snap. Um, all of your best defensive players, Harrison Smith, Patrick Peterson, any veteran who's earned that right, get him out of there. Who are the guys that you talk about the dials? Who are the guys that, that even while they're playing for something, they might take less, take a little off the top? I mean, Zedarius Smith, I think. I mean, we've seen some of that in the last few weeks anyway. I could see Patrick Peterson if you felt good enough about your corners, which I fully grant is not a you position do not. they're in. You do not. You do not. If, if you didn't care about if, – if you got to a point where winning or losing does not matter, then you take him out. But I guess your question is how do they fix it in the meantime when you're trying to win – then, then that's a different thing. You can't take him out. I, I think Zedarius, maybe a little, uh, probably in rundowns. Yeah, obvious I, rundowns. I would say Adam Thielen. Yeah. Um, I think Adam's been dealing with a knee injury that that O'Connell's talked about that we can see in him just not being the same explosive player. I mean, age does that, but not being the same guy uh, that he has been in the past after the catch. Um, Dalvin Cook, probably. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Madison, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's an easy one because Madison's, you know easier there there i mean yeah thielen i mean i mean kj osborne like he hadn't he's not having a great season yet obviously this is some recency bias but it's like is he kind of like inching ahead or inching like is this 2b at a certain point 2a and 2b in the in the wide receiver room now at some point i've, I've been wondering why kj hasn't after the training camp we saw in the offseason i expected kj to be such a bigger part of this offense that he has didn't we talk early about the idea of didn't somebody ask us if we thought he would have more receiving yards than Thielen yeah and I think, I think we so. were like maybe there's a decent possibility yeah. of that and it's not yeah, it's I, not close right now I don't think no I don't think it is and KJ doing what he did against the Colts I know the Colts aren't necessarily the greatest defense in football right now and they didn't play that great in the back end against the Vikings especially in that comeback but um what KJ did he probably showed you enough that like he could handle more of that run should they decide to pull a little bit off of Adam Thielen. Eric Hendricks is dealing with a hip injury. Center Garrett Bradbury still has that back issue that's kept him out for two weeks. So they've got a lot of guys that they can uh, tweak the playing time just a little bit. And I do wonder if the linebacker spot you've got, and let's look at this from a different perspective. Who are the guys that they should be looking to develop with more snaps? Because the one that jumps out to me, we've seen at linebacker, Brian yeah, That's Austin. the first thing I was thinking I think of, yeah. Um, and I guess we've seen them get Chris Boyd, Duke Shelley involved at corner, but with the draft picks on IR, I don't know if there's anybody there that you're really pining to see. What's the cornerback depth chart right now, by the way? I just mentioned it. Is Dantzler still the number two oh, corner? I think he is, because at least the way O'Connell talked about it, I, he was... They didn't call him a healthy scratch. He was active in that game, but just didn't play. They said that he was healthy enough to be active for they us. They got an emergency. Yeah. Okay. Basis. Okay. okay. I, was, I wasn't in. clear on that. Okay. But they had brought up somebody from the practice squad, Perry Nickerson, and then deactivated him. Yep. So clearly they felt good enough about Dancer being available, but not with 
the practice that he didn't have throughout the week. With some different coverage schemes. Yeah, to jump into that game. So that's a good point, too. They changed some stuff up. And, and I, I do think that when Dancer has a full week of practice, like O'Connell said he should have this week, we might see him back in the starting lineup uh, opposite Patrick Peterson. So other than that, I don't know who are the young guys that, that they want to get a look at right now. We've seen more of Sazy, uh, the, the gopher draft pick in there, too. So maybe just some of the, the younger draft picks they've got. Thielen, by the way, 686 receiving yards, K.J. Osborne, 457. Justin Jefferson has as many catches as Thielen and Osborne combined right now, wow. 100, 111. I mean, as it should be. As it should be. <laughs> he has like 500 more yards than they do combined. Yeah. I mean, just, <laughs> what is T.J. Hawkinson at in Minnesota? Uh, he had – hold on, let me pull that back up quick. He's got 33 catches in – no, sorry, 39 catches in seven games uh, for 335 and okay, a touchdown. So not as many yards. Not as many yards, but, you know, it's a it's a pace for a full year of, you know, probably – I don't know, close to 800, 900. Yeah. So it's a, he's 75 catches, something yeah, like that. He's playing dividends, big dividends. All right. Um, let's just keep going down the line. Ben, you got this question about guys who are on one year deals yeah. that the Vikings should, who are the players on one year deals that the Vikings should strongly consider bringing back? And they've got some notable free agents, but who? Yeah. Jeff emailed this to us. Um, the first one that comes to mind for me, and it's technically a one-year deal with some voids, but Patrick Peterson, I think you have to have the conversation. I, I'm, It's a hard one because he's 32, and how long do you want to trust corners to hold up at that point? But he's played awfully well, and I think and he seems if he and he seems important here, and he seems important beyond just. Yes. On field, so even if he lost a step next season, he's still valuable with the rest of your room. Yeah, and if he wants to be here, I mean, he took a discount this year to stay. I would tend to think he would do that again. I think he's liked being here enough and, and liked the relationships he has with guys like Ed Donatel and Kevin O'Connell and the rest of that room. Yeah, I, I would think he's probably high on that list in terms of one-year deal guys. Um, they they brought in Chandon Sullivan, though I don't know if that's worked out so great for this coverage in this secondary. They got um, Hicks is on a multi-year deal, right? Two years. Yep. Um, so. Zadarius is year to year, but it is a three-year deal. But they can they can kind of take it. Yeah, and that one will be interesting because that's a big number next year, and some of these incentives he's hit will boost it even a little bit more because they will be considered likely to be earned next year because he's hit some of these sack numbers this year. So that ends up nudging that number up next year as well. well what's so interesting that you guys have both written about is how how unexpected the success is this year, how many big offseason questions they have, and how I think you know the way we're going to know how they felt about this season is going to be how they address the roster going forward. If they think this is rep- – you know, able to be replicated, they'll probably keep a lot of, or try to, you know, keep the band back together to a certain degree. Um, but if they feel like this is kind of a fluke and they're tra- kind of treating this as like a, uh, we, you know, really nice year, but uh, we got to do something different if we're going to have success going forward. That, that'll that'll give us, we'll get a lot of answers about how they felt about this year in the off season. Here's the thing that I think is going to be really interesting to watch. There is. I know, or at least I'm fairly confident, in how the old regime would have done this. It would have been, in a lot of cases, run it back. 
Right. And everything you, that's good is going to stay good. Yeah. And let's fix and the we'll, things that aren't good. Yeah. Because that's that was always the Rick Spielman approach. We'll fix the things that went wrong, and everything that went right is going to happen again, which is not realistic ever. But that's tended to be how they worked. I don't think Quasi Adolfo Mensa is going to look at it the same way. I I don't think he's going to sit there and say, "Well, yeah, this will happen again." Because there, there's a fair amount of randomness in all of this. I I think when they've won this many close games, you and they've said it, it is a little harder to dispute the idea that they don't know what they're doing and this is all just kind of happening by, you know, the fate smiling on them, that sort of thing. But I also think the injury questions, people playing well at age 32, 33, they're going to figure some of that in and, and probably have a little bit more of a, uh, a level-headed perspective on it. The other piece of it that makes me wonder, and I say this to say, if they do run it back, knowing that I think you're going to have a different approach with the GM, it may give you a little bit of a window into how much of that decision is being influenced by ownership in terms of let's stick with it. We don't want to do the big teardown or even a, a moderate teardown. Mini we want to rebuild. keep going with it. Yeah, the competitive yeah. rebuild, whatever you want to call it. So I was going to ask you, do, do you think this success this year gives the front office and new regime more license to remake the team or less, considering that it, it succeeded with the core? Yeah, it's a very fascinating question. I would tend to think it would be more licensed to do it. I, I think the argument you would make is, hey, we showed that our idea of culture, our idea of how we're going to manage players has worked. The problem i suppose would be you're not going to have a lot of places to point to where you could say we developed this guy this young player came along there isn't a lot of that here so that part of it i i think you'll have to make a case but i i wonder i i do think quasi has a fair amount of collateral built up with the wilfs already uh, i think they've been very happy with his approach i think they like the way he goes about things so he may have to sell that a little but i i tend to think there are going to be some changes and i think he will have the freedom to make them but yeah there may be certain spots where you have to sell up or manage up a little bit to try to get ownership to buy into it the other one that's really interesting in all of this is the the question about how many players on $30 million a year average annual values you want on your roster because there is a scenario where you have one, there's a scenario where you have two. I don't think there's a scenario where you have zero because there is no logical scenario where they don't sign Justin Jefferson. Yeah, of course. I yeah, mean, you course. have to. Right. So, But the Cousins question the cousins is Cousins question and, is the one that flips this. And does his contract make it seem more likely that 2024 is the time to hit the reset button? Or or do they – I mean, it's, it's – Picking I mean, late in a good quarterback draft. Question, yes, questions for you know months down the road, but there's questions they're thinking about right now and questions that would be probably a lot easier for them to answer if they were 7-7 seven and seven right now. But – they're not unhappy to be 11-3 and three right now. It just makes it more complicated to think about. All right, let's pull it back to focusing on Saturday and moving forward here. Uh, Tyler wants to know, will the Vikings win any of these last games by more than eight points? They have 10 one-score wins, tying the NFL franchise record for a single season. 
Will they get the elusive two-score win on a lighter topic? Sure as heck, better do it against the Bears. I mean, if they're going to play starters, Unless, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if that one's still if that one's still Nick meaningful. Mullins. Um, Beat the Bears by two touchdowns. That'll, yeah. that'll be one, two, three Cancun, a lot of those players for the Bears. In yeah. outdoors, January 8th, freezing. And yeah. even, I mean, Business even, decisions. I mean, even, even the Packers game, if the Packers lose to the Dolphins and are more or less eliminated, the Packers could be playing – Jordan could be Jordan Love, which you know again don't know what he's gonna no, don't don't know what that would be. But if the Vikings are still playing for something and the Packers ostensibly aren't, that could be another opportunity. And honestly, this Saturday could be. I mean, the Giants are okay, but they're kind of like down there with the Vikings in DVOA. Like they're overachieving too. Yeah, the the little bit of matchup talk um, that is no noteworthy for the Vikings' perspective is that the Giants are the 26th ranked defense. They allow a league worst 5.4 yards per carry and almost a league worst, almost 30% of opponent runs to go for a first down. So a third of the time they're handing the, an opponent's handing the ball off, that's crossing the first down marker against this Giants defense. I mean, like, how are they winning? I mean, it's, it's almost as much, I mean, it's not to the extent the Vikings are, but it's a mystery to a degree how they're 8-5-1 and one this year. Yeah, I've read people a lot smarter than, than me and watched a lot more Giants stuff than I have talking about how their linebackers are super bad. They've got talent up front, but it's just not, the defense just isn't coming together right now, obviously. And that seven and two start they had was really through the defense. They they held opponents, I think, down to just twenty two points tops in all those seven games. Um, Daniel Jones wasn't turning the ball over, but he's also not scoring touchdowns. Saquon is like the only guy on that offense, and he's been healthy. He's played every game. He's looked worthy of that that top pick, but that's it. And all Brian Dable has done so far for that Giants group has made them into um, a team that takes care of the football, runs the ball and maybe ekes out a win at the end. Uh, they just don't have any firepower. So they're kind of like the Vikings without the firepower. I'm going to say this Saturday is the day they finally win by more than eight. You think so? You're calling it? Calling your shot? <laughs> I wouldn't be too shocked. At U.S. Bank Stadium, after the way that um, they just looked awful in that first half against the Colts, it'll be interesting to see which team comes out uh, next time. All right, let's get one more or two more questions in before we got to go. Got to go. There was a chicken um, finger statement in there. He, he's well, gone silent yeah. on us no, for no, months. He, now he just wants the he, the he, elevated spot things, at the end. Two things. Says, does the, does the league still send their weekly sorry about the refs letter to the Vikings through fax, or do they just text it? It was like a like an email, probably. I would think, and then he he followed up with something about me, which was very hurtful. If Rand tries to defend the refs, strip him down naked and make him podcast outdoors from a snowbank. I don't want to do that. First of all. No, nobody wants any of that. And second of all, um, I'm not defending the refs this week. They they clearly blew one, if not both, of those Janet Sullivan uh, fumble returns. But you know what? Life goes on. They won the game. They sure did. Um, all right. We got Skull Page. Last one wants to know, what type of changes defensively could we see moving forward? Um, they were a better defense. We talked about how they only gave up 22 points that somehow kept that deficit uh, surmountable. Um, Some of the old Harrison Smith role came out, playing near the box and then yeah. bailing into a deep coverage with Simon a couple times. And it, it, the great play near the goal line early in the game didn't make the tackle, but certainly spilled that run where the rest of the guys were able to clean it up and, and throw it for like a six or seven yard loss. And we actually got to see him do that kind of stuff not when they were backed up to the goal line. Yep. <laughs> when there was no you know deep space to defend, they actually moved him to the line of scrimmage and I don't know. You're not going to do that every week. They don't want to do that every week. But when you face certain situations now, they might have a man coverage to pull out, whereas in the past we just didn't see them do that too much. 
Yeah, I mean, like like you and I talked about earlier this week on daily delivery, it just kind of gives them at least another thing to, like another tool in their toolbox, another thing that they can at least show teams, like, hey, we're not going to do this super predictable thing on 80% of the snaps. This is something else we're comfortable now playing and trying. This is a look we're going to give you. Whether it's effective or not, I don't know, because they're going to play much better offenses than the Colts. But um, at least it's another, it's an attempt to say, this wasn't working, maybe this will work. Yeah, and they blitzed a heck of a lot more, too, and actually brought pressure. And Daniel Hunter all of a sudden looked really, really good. Yeah. He had four hits on Matt Ryan, and when you got a statue back there, it was pretty easy for Daniel to tee off. And One at the um, end of the game where he hit him and the, sent the ball flying way up in the air. I mean, that was, that was a big play. huge play in that game. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that they, they need from him when Zadarius is also playing the way he has played in the past. Yep. But if, if Daniel can get going and build that momentum and Zadarius can get healthy – That'll certainly be the Vikings' best version of the team for the playoffs. Um, other than that, I think you just need Harrison Smith, Cam Bynum, and Patrick Peterson to play as well as they did in that game yeah. moving forward. And then that makes that other corner spot not such a headache if they can alter things that way. Base player Cam Bynum, as I found out last night. Really? Really. He, uh, he was playing – the Vikings did a holiday sing-along for kids at the Masonic Children's Hospital down okay. with the U. So I, I went to check that out. Kind of think of this, you know, they, they do a lot of, we get a lot of emails about charity events that they're yeah. doing this time of year. And like, I thought this sounds kind of fun to go watch players sing Christmas carols. And I walk in there and can't buy enough bass. So it wasn't just like, we're going to have a bunch like of guys. bass guitar or stand-up bass? Uh, bass guitar. Okay. I mean, I electric bass. But, okay. yes. um, but he apparently had some story about he was looking for a car wash. He was trying to get a car wash in Eden Prairie and ended up getting one, I think, next to a piano store. And his family had kind of grown up, the number of musicians in his family. So he ends up like going in there to look at a piano and then connects with a guy there, I think, who is now teaching him to play bass guitar. So okay. it was his first time performing in public last night. Uh, I caught a uh, I caught a rendition of Grandma got run over by a reindeer at the okay. end. Tweeted uh-huh. out the video of that, and he was uh, he was slapping he was the in bass? the pocket. He, he was slapping, slapping the, the bass. bass. Yeah, okay. so he met a bass guy at a car wash. Uh, he met a bass guy at the piano store when he was looking for a car near wash. the car wash, <laughs> something like that. Near the car so, wash. So kind of a random story, it's but near yeah, the In and Out Burger. I walk in thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I walk in thinking that. Uh, He's just going to be singing, but yeah, he he was playing bass, which really tied the band together. <laughs> Two Lebowski references toward the end. Love that. Um, on that note, thank you for checking out this episode of the Access Vikings podcast. Please check out StarTribune.com for all of our work. Andrew, you're out of your element.